0: The Sunday Sermons Podcast. My name is Billy Canerium. I am the youth minister here. And I tell you that because I haven't had the opportunity to meet all of you or to really get to talk that much to you. I'm usually down in the teen center. Uh, and the only opportunity I have to be on the stage regularly is during the announcements at the beginning. And well, not everybody's in here yet. Uh, so for some of you, I didn't know that's where you sat. So that's... That's really good. Uh, this morning, we will be continuing our series called Throwback. Uh, in this series that John has been walking through in the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of been uh, going through a really cool history lesson. Now I say that fully realizing that some of you don't think history lessons are very cool. Some of you might even go, oh, do we have to hear about all this old stuff again? But it's really important and beneficial for us to see where we've been so that we can learn from that, so that we don't go back to the same places that hurt us before, so that we don't repeat the same mistakes over and over again. But it's also a cool way to kind of see things that we've lost as a church and try to regain some of those and bring those back. We, we used the same theme at camp this past summer, and when we were introducing this theme, We talked about the idea of nostalgia and how nostalgia can really blind us to how things used to be. Our memories can often be clouded by this nostalgia. For example, I was born in 1981. (laughs) I'm not sure what that sound was supposed to mean. I was born in 1981, so I was a child growing up through the 80s and the 90s, and when I think back on those decades, I, I think they were pretty amazing. I, I think back on playing until the streetlights came on without having a phone in my pocket. There was no Life 360. My, my dad had no idea where we were, except I was totally where I told him I was going to be, right? Right? We, we would get kicked out at 8.30 in the morning and say, see you when the streetlights come on for dinner. There was no internet or social media to which I am incredibly grateful. There was no cell phones. There was barely pagers, I think, when I was an older teenager. I look back on those decades, and I, I think they were amazing, and I have all these fond memories of growing up through that time. I think of those as the good old days. But when I think back and I, I look through my memories on them, it's not a full picture of everything that was going on in the '80s and the '90s. There was also some pretty terrible things going on. In in a world sense, we had uh, the Cold War going on, which I had no idea what that was. We had the Iran-Contra. We had all these things that were going on on a global scale that I had no idea about. We had rampant greed and the beginning of this. It's all about me and and get yours first kind of mentality that was was really driving the narrative at the time. Drug use and abuse on levels that were really out of hand. I had no idea about any of those things. I look back and I think about the 80s and the 90s, and I think they were great. But there was also some really terrible things going on. I remember a conversation with my grandparents uh, when we became old enough to start picking our own music. And my, my brother got into uh, a lot of rap and hip hop, and my grandfather hated any time that was on. And he finally got so frustrated, he said, You know, all your music sings about is sex and drugs. So you need to listen to good music like we did growing up. I've always been sarcastic, and it's got me in a lot of trouble. And I said, Well, grandpa, that, not that I like rap, but your songs were singing about the same things. They were not. <laughs> I said, have you, have you listened to some of the words? What do you think they were doing under the boardwalk? <laughs> that was not his reaction. <laughs> I got a very huffed shoulder, and he walked away. But we look back on things from our childhood, and we see them in a good way. And we often look with rose-colored glasses on things from our past, If things were overall good, we tend to see that time as being good. And if things were overall bad for us, then we tend to look back on those with disdain. But either way, it doesn't really give us a full picture of what was going on. Take this idea of of MAGA, for example, and before I go any further, let me make it very, very clear. This is not a political statement in any sense, but it's a really good illustration for this point, okay? This particular uh, statement, make America great again, it has this idea of let's go back to a time when America was great. Like, that's just inherent in the statement, right? But when was that time? Depends on who you ask. Right? For me, it might have been the 80s or 90s because I had no idea of all the bad that was going on. I was just living the life of a kid growing up. For a lot of people, maybe it was in the 50s. And then you have to ask them, say, well, why is that time when America was so great? Why do you want to go back to that? And if we'll use the 50s as an example. A lot of the answers that I heard throughout those discussions were, well, so many more people were going to church. And statistically, that's a factual statement. They were in church. But if we dig a little bit deeper, a lot of them were in church because that's where you were supposed to be. That was the place to be seen. You, you were filling a pew because that's what you did on Sunday morning. Because that's what we did as a culture. And so they wanted to be seen by the right people. They wanted to be sitting next to the right people But then they would go home and act very much not like Jesus. But they were in church. And so we have this idea of like, well, let's make America great again. Let's go back to this time. But we we sometimes forget some of the other stuff that was going on. What about racism and inequality? Those weren't exactly decades that we were nailing that, was it? We weren't doing a great job at loving our neighbors and treating others as equals but more people were in church. See, so we, we can look back on things and we can see it just through a, a very narrow lens and think, this was great. But if we don't see it through a wider lens and really understand what was going on, our nostalgia can kind of cloud those things. When we look back on the good old days whatever time period that was for you, that we often miss the bad and the evil and the sin that was going on. It's not always healthy for us to look back to find some utopian time to try to reclaim. Even Scripture warns against this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10 says, Do not say, Why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. That's not to say that there's not some things that we have lost along the way that we should look to reclaim, but we should be careful not to just look back and see our good memories. When we do that, we often miss the evil and the sin, and we wind up finding ourselves right back in those same things. Instead of just throwing back a couple of decades to find some recent memory that we thought was great and try to reclaim that, John has been challenging us to unpack the idea of what it would look like if we took what we think of church and what we think of faith and threw it back all the way to the start of the church, to go back as far as we can, what if we looked at the church and how it's been? and try to see the good things that we've lost, and try to reconnect those things, but also try to see the bad things that we've gained? What if we rooted our faith in Christ more than we do in our tradition? Sometimes things just kind of seep in, and they become part of church, but they weren't meant to be. Sometimes things become just our habit and our routine, and we need to root those out because it's actually keeping us from following Christ more than it is drawing us towards him. This series, Throwback, is a chance for us to look at the things that we've lost along the way and make an effort to bring those back and reestablish those in our rhythms. Instead of longing for yesterday, it's a chance to make today as good as we can make it. Do you ever play hide and seek as a kid? I used to love to play hide and seek. I was built like a beanpole, so I could go pretty much wherever I wanted to. Like I graduated high school, I was six foot one, one hundred nineteen pounds. <laughs> I am not now, but I was then, and so I could hide pretty much wherever I wanted to. And hide and seek, like pretty much every game, is a lot more fun when you're good at it. And I remember one time we were playing hide and seek in the dark at the church that I was going to when I was a teenager. Uh, and some of us older teens knew how to get into the air vent system that would go underneath the sanctuary. It had like, those floor vents, and I could fit. So I had climbed in there, and I was, I was just about done putting the grate back over the top of me. And a team that was trying to find us it was all younger students, and I knew that they didn't know anything about this vent or how to get in there, but they were coming into the room where it was, and I'm holding the vent because I didn't want to make any more sound. And I'm just hoping that they don't step directly on that vent, because I'm pretty sure I wasn't strong enough to hold them. And I'm trying to be as still as I possibly can. And they're walking in, and the the room was, there was no windows. It was like an interior, like, um, AV room. And so it's completely dark. If you put your hand in front of your face, you wouldn't see it. And so they're walking in and we can hear them and I'm trying to be as silent as I can and I realize they're standing right over the top of me and then I have an opportunity. I've got enough of a gap in this grate that I could reach up (laughs) and grab the foot of the nearest teenager and make my night great. (laughs) Not so much for them. But one of the things that stopped me from doing that was the thought that if I did that, then they'd know my hiding spot. And I didn't want to reveal that. If I, if I took this moment and this opportunity to scare her, I'd be losing my, my comfort of being able to hide there. I have so many fun memories of playing hide-and-seek growing up. But as a dad, what I have come to realize is my daughter is horrible at hide and seek. Like really, really bad at this game. The second I say, ready or not, here I come, she pops out and goes, Here I am. It's <laughs> like so, kid, that that's not how this game works. And no matter how many times we tell her, that's what she does every single time. Occasionally, she's actually found a pretty good hiding spot that we'd be worried we wouldn't have found her, and so we've been grateful that she just jumps out of the spot. As adults, we know that we're supposed to hide until someone forces us out into the open, that we're supposed to stay quiet, not move, and they'll never find you. We take great pride in being able to do that. My daughter takes great pride in just jumping out and telling us where she was. It's a great strategy in hide and seek, to hide, to stay quiet, to to find a comfortable spot just to kind of stay. That's great in hide and seek. It's great in a game, but way too often, that's our same strategy in our spiritual life and in the church. Despite the great many things that God's people have done, we've also turned blind eyes and cold shoulders Far too often. We've taken the same strategy for a kid's game, and we used it to stay silent when bad things were happening. Matthew chapter 5 is part of the Sermon on the Mount, starting in verse 14. Jesus says, "'You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house.'" In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Instead of being a shining beacon on a hill that Jesus refers to us in the Sermon on the Mount, we've often hidden the light. Convenience. Fear of confrontation, not wanting to rock the boat. You can label it whatever way you want to, but way too often we've stayed silent when we should have spoken up. It's not hard to find examples to cite. There have been plenty of times where things have been going on in the world and the church should have been on the front lines calling those things out, yet we remain silent. There have been many times where things were going on in our churches, and we should have shined light on those things, that we should have stood up and said, not in this house. And we remained silent. It is his 1963 letter from a Birmingham jail. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. lamented that the church was failing on racial injustice He writes, so often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent, often even vocal, sanction of things as they are. The church should be a shining light in the world, not hiding from hard conversations. We should be standing up and calling out injustice, not turning a blind eye and a cold shoulder when it doesn't directly affect us. But often we take the mentality of, well, I didn't do it. I didn't own a slave. I didn't call this person this. I didn't make this happen. We, we take this mentality of I didn't do it, so I'm not responsible. I'm not a racist. I'm not a fill-in-the-blank phobic. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. But it's not enough to just avoid Evil. We can't just do our best to not do bad and call it a day. That's not our calling as followers of Jesus. It's not being the light. It's not enough to just avoid evil. We must actively seek to do good. We must intentionally push back against evil. We must speak out against injustice. And stop hiding the light that we're called to shine. We have to take the basket off and be the shining city on a hill that Jesus called us to be so that we could be the light in the world. Here's a struggle we like the basket. When you take the basket off, the light's pretty bright, it's kind of the point. But we don't want it to shine anywhere. Scripture reminds us repeatedly that we need to take off the basket. Luke chapter 8, Jesus says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Luke chapter 12, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, wherever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Mark chapter 4, Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. That's the power of walking in the light. Nothing is hidden. When I was hiding in that uh, little air vent, if there had been a light on in that room, it would have been incredibly easy to find me. But because there was no light, there there was no way to see what was going on. I had... You know, like when you sit in the light for long enough, your eyes start to adjust and you can kind of see shadowy things and stuff like that. Like, I had been in there long enough that I could tell where they were. And I could see how close I was to grabbing that ankle. And they had no idea I was even there. But all they would have to do is flip a switch. And I wasn't very hidden at all. The power of walking in the light is nothing gets hidden, you can see everything, we're called to step out of the shadows, out of the darkness to operate in the light, not to hide as though somehow things will go away or get better without anyone saying or doing anything about it. That's often our approach, isn't it? Like, if that's not affecting Kingston or Roan County, like we, it's very easy for us to say, "Man, that. uh, Glad I don't live there," and just focus on what affects us. But we're called not to be okay with where we're at and just make sure we're safe. But we're called to be a light that shines in every dark spot, so that evil can't prevail. Despite the many great things that God's people have done, we've also turned a blind eye and a cold shoulder far too often. We've allowed darkness to continue because we didn't shine the light on it. We've stayed silent when we should have spoken. We've stayed seated when we should have stood. And because of that, even our best attempts at restoring unity and focus within the church don't fully succeed. We still have a church that's struggling with the same issues we have struggled with for centuries. We still have a church that is divided by the hurt caused by our silence. What have we historically hidden in and as the church? that's really not that hard to, to see. Racism power imbalance, abuse, gossip, you can make a pretty impressive list of things that we have just kind of stayed silent unless it directly affected us in that moment. And because of that, we still have all of these things, not just in the world, because if, if we're really, really honest, Jesus is clear that there will be a lot of evil in the world always. Until he comes back, that's, it's not going to go away. But we have these things not just in the world that we're in, but we have them inside the church. And they continue to, to go on because we don't stand up and say not anymore, not in this house, we're not having this. We say, well, I didn't notice that. I didn't know about it. It didn't happen to me. And so we, we come to church and we, we listen to worship, we participate we listen to a sermon, and then we go back home, and we go, man, my church is amazing, and life is so good. And I think Morrison Hill is great. It's not, I'm not, like, trying to take a veiled attack at anybody, but often we don't see what's going on because we don't want to look. We have the basket, and inside that basket, there's light, and we're enjoying that, but outside the basket, there's all this evil and darkness going on, and we'd rather just not be bothered. If we're being honest, a lot of times we don't want to pay any attention to it because it's hard. It's uncomfortable. It takes time. And I'm busy. I don't want to have that conversation. I don't really know them that well. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Like You can make a list of our excuses, right? And we can justify for ourselves pretty easily why we sit and stay silent instead of stand and speak up. But when we don't, we allow that evil to continue. When we hide, when we found our spot, we we found that air vent that we we know we can fit in and it's dark enough that no one can see us, we get comfortable there. And we don't want anybody to turn on the light. Because then we have to do work. The church, for all of her beauty... And all the great things that the church has done. And let's be let's be very clear. The church has done an amazing amount of incredible things in the world. John talked about a lot of it last week. The church is not an attack of the church is just bad all the time. The church has also done beautiful things. But in all of that beauty and all of the great things, we've also repeatedly just turned and not dealt with a lot of stuff because we didn't want to go through the hard work. We don't know how to talk about it. It makes us uncomfortable. Or if we're being honest, we just don't really want to see it change. We like where we are. And nothing bad's happening to us, so what do I need to do? But that's looking at our... At our current position, the same way we often look back on our memories at seeing those rose-colored glasses and missing the people that are standing right next to us, that live right near us, that are struggling, and we're not helping them because we're hiding in our comfort instead of being the light that God called us to be. We've allowed things to continue and to thrive in the world and in the church by just keeping them hidden, by trying to keep ourselves hidden from them. It wouldn't take very long to search on Google to find a story of a church in trouble because they didn't speak up and somebody in that church, a staff member or a member of the congregation was hurting somebody. Long list of different ways. And they always interview the people in the church and say, well, why didn't you say anything? That I, didn't, I had no idea that was happening. And often, We don't have any idea that it's happening or we kind of put that in quotes if we had no idea because we just look here and it didn't affect us and we didn't want to know because it's easier and more comfortable to stay hidden than it is to stand up and speak out. And so we find our comfort zone and we do everything we can to stay safe, to stay hidden in that spot so that no one finds us and rocks our little boat. And in doing that, we continue to struggle with and try to hide the same struggles. They don't go away. They shift and change. They get called different things. They take on new names. We give new excuses. But until we take off the basket and let the light shine, the darkness won't go away. Until we stop hiding and stand up and say, not in this house, not in this church, not in this town. Until we Want to see things in the world change? The, content, the darkness will continue to thrive. We have to stop hiding and start shining. I love the uh, new song by Casting Crowns. Start right here. Well, the lyric says this: is if we want, but if we want to see the heart set free and the tyrants kneel." The walls fall down and our land be healed. But church, if we want to see a change in the world out there, then it's got to start right here. It's got to start right now. We can't expect the world to change if the church doesn't. We can't expect to see all these things that we lament about going on in the world have any kind of change or difference happening when the church continues to let those same things thrive inside our walls. Sunday morning is still one of the most segregated hours in America. Not just racially, although very much so, but also stylistically and all these, like we find our little comfort zone and we say everybody else is wrong. Instead of collectively coming together in the name of Jesus and shining light into a world that needs hope and needs forgiveness and needs mercy and love and grace. But we can't go out and do that because we're too busy arguing and bickering with each other about silliness. Or we're too busy hiding and saying, that doesn't happen in my church. It's easy to come up with reasons and excuses and retellings of history to justify why things are the way that they are. But we have to be honest. Despite our best attempts at restoring unity and focus within the church, we're still not there. We must not give up and just say, well, but Morrison Hill's doing pretty good. I think we are. But pretty good isn't what God called us to be. Doing all right isn't the call of Christ. Being the light in the world is. Our comfort zone isn't what he called us to. We must not give up and must not throw up our hands in resignation and say, well, it's just too hard. Like, Jesus, it's not going to change. You know how these people are. He didn't say, you say something and be the light and it will all be better. He called us to continue to be a light in the darkness that will hate us for being the light. I always thought that was really odd, that if you brought some kind of good news to somebody that they'd be mad at you for it. Have you ever been asleep in the morning and somebody came in and just turned the light on to wake you up? Are you happy with them for turning on the light to help you find your clothes and everything to get ready in the morning? No, you're grabbing whatever (laughs) You're grabbing whatever's nearby you that isn't attached to something, and you're throwing it at them, right? You're mad that they brought light into the darkness because you were comfortable in the darkness. And the world is mad when we bring light into the darkness because they're comfortable there. And if we're being really honest, so are we. Sometimes we don't like the light to shine, and we don't want the light to shine because it's going to hit us too. And we don't want to deal with our own stuff that we're struggling with. Of embarrassment or fear it's going to get kicked out of church or whatever other reasons, we need to stop being so comfortable in our hiding spots. I think my daughter has it right that when someone comes looking for her, she just pops out and says, "Here I am. you found me." Instead of hiding, let's start confronting what's going on. Let's be light in the darkness, take the basket off and just... Go through whatever it is. Just do the hard work of letting the light shine, not just on those around us, but on us. When the devil can whisper in our ear and say, don't speak up because if you bring this up, man, they're going to bring up this. And you know you've been doing wrong. And you know what? Everybody else knows you've been doing wrong too because unless you can raise your hand now and say you're perfect, we know you have sinned. We need to get honest about it and say, you know what? I'm not a perfect person. Can you help me? Would you walk through this with me? So that collectively together we can go into the world and say, here's a group of people that love Jesus and we're darn sure not perfect, but we've got the light on and we're not going to hide in the darkness anymore. We think sometimes we can just kind of keep it to ourselves. As if somehow no one will know that we're struggling with something. But God is not deceived. No matter how good you are at hiding it from your, your spouse, your kids, your family, your friends, your neighbors, or whoever else you're hiding things from. No matter how good you are at that, God isn't deceived. So why do we hide? even if we're doing a good job covering it up. God knows the sin that's in our life. God knows the temptations we struggle with. And he still loves us and still calls us to be the light in the world by submitting that to him and showing the world who he is. But when we sit in our, uh, in our comfort zone and say, I don't want to speak up because you know, I'm not perfect, we let darkness thrive because we're embarrassed with the darkness in us. And we don't want to talk about it. And we don't want to struggle through it. And we don't want to deal with it and address it. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that we cannot hide from God. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. When addressing prophets who are lying about God, falsely claiming their words to be his, Jeremiah says, Can a man hide himself in a secret place so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Galatians chapter 6 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap If we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let's stop hiding and start doing the work of the gospel. Let's continue to fight for unity and stop making excuses for why things are the way that they are and start doing the hard work of making it better. It's not an easy process, and it's definitely uncomfortable. But it's the only way that we can be light. It's the only way that we really live out our faith. I love that the Bible doesn't shy away from the shortcomings of all of its characters. It would have been very easy, especially since a lot of these guys were the one writing the story, to kind of gloss over some of their mistakes and their sin and their failings. But the Bible makes it really, really clear This is not some perfect person who God just planted a a really good one here and there. These are broken people that submit that brokenness to Christ and allow him to work through them to be light in the world. If anybody was perfect and walked into town and said, I am perfect, let me show you how to be perfect too. No one's going to listen to you. Do you listen to anybody that comes along and tells you, "Eh, I've never messed this up a day in my life. Let me show you how to do it. And you're like, okay, jerk. Like we don't want to listen to that person. But if that person comes along and says, man, I've been where you are and I know how much this hurts and I know how difficult it is, let me walk through this with you. We love having that person next to us, don't we? It's not about being some perfect Christian. It's about being light into a world that's dark. They didn't glorify their sin. Nowhere in the Bible do they say, and the apostle Paul used to kill Christians and man, was he good at it. It's not in there. Although historically he probably was. But it says, I am among the chief sinners, but they stepped out of darkness and they lived in grace. And grace, gives us the freedom to live in light. Didn't suddenly become perfect. Their past wasn't erased. In fact, it was chronicled for us to read. There were still moments when they failed, but they were no longer letting those things define them. They were letting Christ define them. They were no longer letting their past and their sin hold them back or silence them or make them hide. They stepped into the light for everybody to see and shown light into the world, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter six: "What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not call? Do you not know that all who us, all of us who are have been baptized in the Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death?" We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let's walk in the newness of life and stop letting our sin, current or past, continue to define us, silence us, and make us hide. And step into the light and say, here I am with all of my failings and with all of my shortcomings and with all the stuff that I'm dealing with and I'm not, in, I'm not proud of it, I'm embarrassed by it, but here I am. Let Christ work through me. Let grace allow us to live in light. And Stop turning a blind eye and a cold shoulder to all the things that are going on around us every single day. And let's start being this shining city on a hill so that darkness can't hide and can't continue to thrive. John's mentioned that quote from Mike Frost several times throughout this series with the bells. We're supposed to bless and eat and listen and learn and send. How are we gonna do that this week? Where are you hiding? where do you need to turn on the light? Who do you need to ask to go hit the light switch for you? Because you're way too far in the darkness. To even find it, let's come together as the body of Christ and be light so darkness can't continue to thrive. Let's make this moment the time that we start so we could change what goes on in here and change what's going on in here so we can radically change what's going on out there. Let's take a step into the light.